1: Before we start today's episode, I need to give you a little heads up. There's some naughty words and some adult themes in this episode. You'd be disappointed if there wasn't, really. So steady yourself, we're going in. From dildos to protest in pottery form, sex takes up a lot of our thoughts and time, Well, does mine anyway, and has left a litter of artefacts throughout history. Join me, Kate Lister, betwixt the sheets for a virtual tour of the Museum of Sex Objects.
0: What do you look for in a man?
2: Oh, money, of course.
0: (laughs) You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning the knob and pushing the button.
1: Yes, social courtesy does make a difference.
0: Goodness, what beautiful time. Goodness has nothing to do with it, Jerry.
1: Hello and welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society with me, Kate Lister. Deborah Sim is the keeper of the Museum of Sex Objects and like a sexy red riding hood, she has bought us a basket of goodies from all throughout history for us to have a gander at. One of them was rather difficult to describe as these unexpecting strangers were about to find out.
0: I don't love the shape of it.
2: It kind of looked like a volcano. Cold, hard rock,
0: giant, (laughs) veiny, cock. It's
2: like got a rib
0: on it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) To find out what object that was, keep listening. So hello and welcome to Betwixt the Sheets, only we're not Betwixt the Sheets, we're in London in a secluded little room above a cafe and joining me today is Deborah Sim, the head curator from the Museum of Sex Objects and I am surrounded by a plethora of pleasure. And Deborah is going to talk us through
2: some of it. Hello, and thank you so much. Thank you, Kate, for coming to visit us. So I just have to correct you. I am the keeper. The of keeper of the, Mu- the museum. Oh of Sex I like Subjects.
1: that. That gives it a sort of a
2: mysterious There is a lot of mystery to be had here. Are you not the first keeper? No. As with everything, there's a lot of mystery back in the annals of time. And so legend has it that <gasps> the first keeper was Lady Sexberger, Queen of Kent, 699. <laughs> and objects have been coming to the keeper oh and we'll see goodness. at the end uh, a piece that arrived today for the keeper yes we will it's blooming
1: in the corner
2: right it's now it's overshadowing us I'm, i
1: know even <laughs> though i'm looking at you and i'm not looking at it i can feel its presence yeah there is an object <laughs> that we're going to come to last and it's just,
2: <laughs> you wait so the keeper i love yeah. that it's like a secret well, I, I'm amazing. actually not in my ceremonial clothing today. You I, have ceremonial clothing? Well, I normally wear a red cape and carry <gasps> the white wand of prostitution. Oh, I love it. I'm sort of off duty at the moment. You know, I've just come to see you, but you I think... You are
1: wearing a T-shirt that says slut-faming, though, oh, yes. which I, I, yes, I, I absolutely I... adore.
2: Yeah. I love that. Oh, <laughs>
1: and, well, I'm just so pleased that you've given your time up to talk to me today. No, Thank I'm you.
2: overjoyed to have you here.
1: So you said the rod of prostitution, and I'm going to guess that the reason that you said that is because there was a tradition, it wasn't tradition, it was law in medieval Britain law, about what yeah. sex workers had to wear, yeah. and it was striped hoods, particular clothing, and some of them had to carry like a wand or a, not like a, well, not like a Harry Potter wand, they weren't magic, but it was something well, quite Well, actually, densely. you
2: wonder whether a lots of that language has carried on, so women had to carry a wand, it was called a wand of prostitution, some were rods, as you're right, mm. but um, just made out of bits of wood and if you weren't carrying that and even if you weren't a prostitute but they thought you were a prostitute and you weren't carrying it you could be put in the bride well and the ray hood that you're talking about I've been researching that recently and I contacted the head of the medieval society to find out because I've done so much research to try and find any imagery of it. I've never found any. No and if you didn't I found an account of a woman in Bristol I think it was who had to wear the ray hood and I've contacted lots of people around medieval clothing to find this ray hood but it was a hood of shame and my red cloak sort of symbolizes what I would normally wear if I was taking people on tours mm-hmm. around the museum sort of symbolizes female sexuality and the separation of the feminine into the prostitute and the virgin mm-hmm. and you have the virgins always seen in the blue cloak and the whore like Mary Madeline who wasn't a whore but is always seen in red so I think it's quite good to have the symbolic I think so. visual Absolutely. yeah context to yeah. it But speaking of which,
1: it actually leads me perfectly onto our first (laughs) item. Look at that, seamless. Mm. So what I'm looking at right now is, um, now you're going to describe this better than me, but Mm -hmm. just on first impressions, this is a large, what I'd probably describe as like a dinner plate sized, except that it's not a dinner plate. And there are three figures on it who look like geese, but with uh, women's heads. And underneath is written
2: Winchester geese. Yeah, this is called the Winchester geese dish. It's a dish. And if you look around the outside, you'll see vagina motifs oh going around. I haven't even noticed that. That totally is as yeah. well. Yeah. And then you'll see women transmutating into geese. It's got the name Winchester Geese because the brothels that were on the South Bank were owned by the Bishop of Winchester. In fact, one of the most famous bottles was called the Cardinal's Cap, (laughs) which is named after Cardinal Beaufort, who was in the Vatican, and he'd be then coming to his stews and walking around with his red cap on. Mm. So the Bishop of Winchester notoriously owned many of the bottles on the South Bank. And um, another interesting thing about the Winchester Geese, which we don't discuss, is the church's part in prostitution. Mm. So on the North Bank. St. Paul's owned many of the bottles on the North Bank. You've got Bishop of Winchester ruling the roost on the South Bank. And John Donne, very famous late 16th century metaphysical poet, he gave three of his bottles in the city as a betrothal gift for his daughter getting married to a guy called John Allen, who also had brothels on the South Bank. And John Donne gave as a marriage dowry the bell, the cock and the barge. I wonder if they registered for that. Like, I just bring toasters. (laughs) Well, it's all been documented, so it's pretty interesting. It's it's Henry
1: VIII that closed all the stews down, wasn't it? Which has always struck me as spectacularly hypocritical. Henry VIII is giving out sexual moral advice, is he now? I
2: don't think it was a moral thing as much as uh, what he saw as a practical thing because there was so much venereal disease Mm. in the troops, so it was to keep what he thought was the troops healthy. So going back to John Allen and the dowry, so there were six bottles then put together and they came to form the foundations, the money that founded Dulwich College, which, as I said, I did did look on the website. It does not say the... It doesn't Doesn't give the foundation myth, no.
1: (laughs) No, it's all a very hush-hush history, isn't it? And this is one thing that's always fascinated me about sex work and the history of it, is it's all around us. It is everywhere, but it's only within the last... 30, 50 years that historians and scholars, such as your fabulous self, have started to recover this history and try and tell some of these stories.
2: Well, that actually carries on to where this Winchester geese dish was last exhibited, as we were saying. So the church and all the brothels. So an action group of women took the dish to mm. Winchester Cathedral in September 2019. And yeah. they got blessed by the Bishop of Winchester to acknowledge the church's part, even in a small way. In prostitution, which was really quite a big thing.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that like, I, when you study that history, is like, you feel like you get so close. Looking at this yeah. dish now, yeah. and like, I can see that it's a history, it's real, these women were here, but we know so little about who they actually yeah. were. Like, we know what the bishop did, we know what doctors thought, and what John Dunn was doing yeah. for a wedding present.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but who were the women that worked there? Exactly. You know? I think that's the stories that we need to be focusing on now, because we've Isn't heard it? enough of kings and queens and famous people. We need to know. The real history of the common people. Yeah. And, you know, because another thing is pleasure was quite a class controlled issue you know people weren't allowed to have pleasure Mm -hmm. and that's why you know when you say about being a sodomite or something one of your last programs I did listen to it yeah that that just meant that you were doing sex that wasn't yeah just not for for babies not for babies yeah and that is for pleasure so anything that the uh, common people were having for pleasure was outlawed and People get and hung controlled, for it, and horribly controlled, controlled. Which you know that's why we have to be ever vigilant. Ever vigilant. Enjoy ever your vigilant, pleasure, because slowly these rights people have fought for, and these freedoms, can be eroded pretty quickly. Very
1: quickly. Yeah. Absolutely. So we are now on to the next item, and this little blue tankard thing, and it says on it "Sexual Offences Act, 1967," and it's in a box that's stuffed with newspaper. Tell me about
2: this. What what am I looking at? Okay, you're looking at a Wedgwood. Wedgwood. That's that was what I was going Wedgwood for. loving cup, which yes. has two handles. It's a little bit journey worn, and it's in a start right shoebox, which oh, is a shoebox. Right, okay. It's a little children's start right yes. shoebox. So, Sexual Offences Act was passed on the twenty seventh of July, nineteen sixty seven, and if you see that, you've got a paper that says. So, Daily Mirror. Daily Mirror, Friday the 28th of July. This piece was given to the museum, well, bequeathed to the museum by a couple who'd found it in their uncle's attic. Um, And I now shall tell you the story. So, the story goes that two guys met on VE Day 1945, both in their respected military uniforms, and there was like so much celebration going on in London. And they just met and fell in love. And they were together ever since, until they died. And um, basically, they worked in Stoke in the Wedgwood factory. And one night, the the night of the Sexual Offences Act being passed, they went and moonlighted and made a cup that represented their love for one another, which had been secret. Because what happened was, until this law was passed, homosexuality was completely outlawed. And after this date... It's still slightly a confusing issue because it can only be men of 21 and over mm. in England and Wales could be together. But of course, there was still. Great discrimination, and they still mm. couldn't really come out of their closet. They lived, as many people did, as bachelor flatmates. Yeah, just the mates. <laughs> yeah, bachelor flatmates was a terminology. I remember there being two women who lived down on the street who were, you know, sort of, they called friends. You know, companions. Companions, oh. that's right, sisterly companions, oh. but that wasn't what was going on. So basically they still had to hide, even though there was hope with this. You know, change doesn't happen overnight, does it? Literally. No. So if you have a look, I'm at so first beautiful. the cup looks quite elegant and mm. in the Wedgwood with Stalin, quite, you know, doesn't have anything offensive. Well, not that they are offensive, but people would have been offended by this, I guess, when it was made. You've got a male, male oh. sign on the back, which was made popular during the 1960s. And then mm. on the bottom, you have a homosexual act in private shall not be an offence. And then mm. the chapter of the Sexual Offences Act. That's incredible. So, here we go. so we that's that
1: just—it yeah. just seems like such a little quiet object that two men, two lovers, did it Yes, and it looks it. like
2: a quiet object at but the same time. But it's also
1: hugely powerful. Yeah, you know.
2: Um, so I should have said that sprigging—the mm. white on the mm. outside with the blue—and they worked, as I say, in the Wedgwood factory. But oh. you know, they still wouldn't have, even when that was passed. This obviously has gone into a box the day mm. after. and... It was given to us by Brenda Moore, niece of Malcolm Moore, one of the Potters.
1: That is a very, very beautiful piece of social history. They commemorated it very quietly and privately.
2: Yes, and I guess they wanted to do a ritual, you know, to commemorate the passing of such a big thing, which, you know, up until then, would have even got them a prison sentence or some conversion therapy. Chemical castration. Chemical castration, you know, and Mm. also because... Another thing is, you know, you have the working class men and what they were expected to do, and even still to a certain extent now. So they would have been expected to look at nude women in newspapers and go to the pub and do all these things, the even same. after this bill was passed, you know. Wow. That is a very beautiful piece. I like that very much.
1: I'll be back in a
2: bit with Deborah. Deborah.
0: wanted to know more about some of the greatest stories in history
2: kings queens
0: knights monks peasants battles castles love hate treachery and revenge they're all waiting in the greatest millennium in human history well yet anyway i'm matt lewis and my co-host dr kat jarman and i are waiting to tell you some of the most exciting exhilarating fascinating and less well-known stories of the middle ages what are you waiting for We've gone medieval with history hit. Are you coming?
1: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt.
1: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
1: I'm looking at figurine, like the kind my grandma used to have on her mantelpiece, but very much not in the same way. But like you remember those little like elegant figurines like shepherds and shepherdesses? It's like that, but when you look closer at this little shepherdess, um, it's a man. And you can see that because his corset is kind of pulled down and there's no breasts and he's got very muscly arms and but he is very much dressed as a milkmaid and then right at the bottom it says Gabriel Lawrence the transmutation of the sexes so Deb tell me about this object
2: that's a a sort of like it's had a journey got a broken arm and also that what you've just read is on a very clunky sort of Victorian edition Mm -hmm. so it's a typical looking piece for the mid 18th century that would have been made Again, maybe somebody moonlighting, but from the Bow Figurine Factory, which is the first place to do porcelain in the country. Mm. Yes, yeah, so Gabriel Lawrence was a milkman. And because he was a milkman, he's been dressed as a milkmaid and has a milk churn by his side and a very jolty feather hat on. And if you look closely, he's got some wonderful makeup on and a little Adam's apple. So Gabriel Lawrence was one of three men who was arrested on a cold February night in 1726 from the infamous Mother Clapp's Molly house down near Farringdon. That night, the house, it was always on a Sunday that it was the busiest and there would have been maybe hundreds in there. It wasn't a bottle, it was almost like a not-for-profit organisation won by Mother Clap, who just wanted everybody to have a jolly time. They'd have to go and get beer from the tavern next door because they didn't have beer then. It was having a very jolly old time. So basically, Gabriel was a molly, and that's why he's dressed as a woman. And between here and Farringdon, there were about 30 molly houses that basically would have been likened, as being likened to San Francisco in the 1970s. Wow. The Molly houses were full of men who dressed as women. When they met each other, they would curtsy, give themselves sort of feminised names. And they would speak a different language as well. They'd managed to make up their own language, which I guess goes quite into a lot of slang, you mm. know, rhyming slang of today. Was also sort of language that they would have been speaking. It was called marrying the language. Okay. Oh, okay. And they would have marrying rooms, yeah. um, they would have birthing rooms where underneath the skirts they were pulling out little dolly spoons. Mm-hmm. And so that night, anyway, the Society for the Reformation of Manners, which were all the killjoys of the time. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't formed, want them at your
1: party, would you? Christ. No,
2: which was formed in the late. Uh, 16th century, to eradicate lewd, profane Mm -hmm. and immoral activities from the city. And they sent spies into the molly houses. They had to say that they'd witnessed sodomy, which is really quite rude and not really very full of manners. And so they infiltrated. And, of course, uh, when three guys were, not just three were arrested, but three were hung at Tyburn in May 1726, On the statements Mm. of these spies, I've just got one little excerpt I'd like to read. Of course, at the same time between here and... We're actually facing the British Museum at the moment. Between here and Farringdon, um, also the first toilets opened. Public toilets. First public toilets, which was in Lincoln's Inn and Temple. And so, of course, that opened up a space where men could go and meet other men in sort of slightly... Compromising situations, a one tradition way way. that stayed with us for a
1: very long time, and yeah. I think still yeah. it was cottaging, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, cottaging. Yeah, yeah,
2: has led actually to a lot of pleasure and a lot of pain, actually, because you could have very severe consequences. Mm. Well, the death penalty being in one. Day, yeah. So actually, from the same month when Gabriel was hung at Tyburn, May 1726, as an excerpt in the London Journal. Uh, Which says, nocturnal assemblies of great numbers of like vile persons withdraw into dark corners to endorse, as they call it. But I, plain English, call it sodomy. Wow. Because it would have been the first time that those classes would have met as well Mm -hmm. in a compromising possible place. So the public toilets, I think, it would be worth studying, actually. Oh, without further. a shadow of a doubt. But I think that that's something that a lot of people forget
1: about the history of sex, is how much of it would have happened outdoors, because where do you go to meet people? And yeah, it's where it's negotiating we
2: go public spaces. Yeah. When we find the place to install the museum, we have like five curated areas and one of them is called a space of peril which is how gay men would have traversed public space wow. and the danger yeah. of yeah. that. and you know I mean basically everybody had to have alfresco sex because there was mm-hmm. no privacy there was never privacy you know a four-post bed with a canopy around would be extremely extremely rare, rare and it wouldn't be working classes you know mm-hmm. and I remember there's a quote from Casanova of all people when he came to London in the mid-18th century and had rooms on Pall Mall and he said that he couldn't get any sleep because of all the infernal sex on the streets so, and so much <laughs> so, so much intercourse going on outside his window which I think is quite funny coming from, from coming from him, from him. Yeah, yeah absolutely yeah so Paul Gabriel Lawrence this is a testimony I suppose to the
1: many men who lost their lives at Tyburn for just being gay and...
2: You know, the thing is, you've got to be careful, I think, when you look at sex in the past, you don't have anachronisms. Yeah, Because the thing is, Gabriel could have been a cross-dresser. This is true. We don't know, do we? He's not here. You know, here. it's part of when I've been through the transcripts at the Old Bailey online. It doesn't really say that no. he'd actually been endorsing, as they called it. You know, so it would just been any pleasurable thing mm. for the working classes in some way either meant you ended up in prison or even worse, the like with Gabriel on the end of a rope. Oh. Yeah. Pleasure's quite a political thing, really.
1: Most definitely. That's a very sad and beautiful object. But I suppose we'd better talk about the big grey elephant thing in the room. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, Uh, Are you sexually available for the next item in the museum? Do do you know
1: what? Not without some yoga classes and quite a lot of loom. (laughs) This thing that's looming into view.
2: Right, okay, Deborah, here we go. Tell me about this thing. I'm just going to just give you a quick insight in how it turned up. So, uh, parcel turned up today, first class. Deborah Sim, the keeper. So, this is today, hot off the press. Yeah, so now people send in even today, as they did years ago, to the keeper. Things of interest that they want to preserve or they want to... I don't really know. They just want to get rid of, maybe. Just give to someone because they're not quite sure what to well, do with themselves. yeah, yeah. And I guess they just like sharing things as well. People yeah. like to share their objects and have them talked about. So this has come in a cribbage and playing card box. Yep. And it's got an accompanying letter <laughs> from Jill...
1: Okay, so this is from a mudlarker who discovered this object, and the letter reads, Hi Deborah, we're home from a much-needed and awaited holiday, and at last got round to posting our donation and writing a little about its finding. I've given a little explanation as to what mudlarking is, as most of your visitors will not be familiar with the hobby, but if you only needed to find its location and date, please feel free to use the extract, whatever info you need from below. No one likes to think of their grandma or great-grandma enjoying sex. But mankind has been doing just that and experimenting with how to spice things up a bit since the dawn of history. This rather large rubber aid is believed to date from the early and evidently very roaring 1920s. It was found in November 1921 in the mud of the Thames Riverbank near Richmond, Surrey, during the annual drawdown. This is when a section of the Thames that is normally always in full flow is isolated while the lock undergoes maintenance, making it tidal like upstream. Leaving areas of the foreshore that are normally underwater accessible twice daily to the licensed modern mudlarks, searching for historic items lost in the depth of both time and London's greatest river. Mudlarks were originally some of the poorest members, or more accurately outcasts from Victorian society, who waded through foul-smelling filth at low tide, scavenging for anything that they could sell, like bits of coal and rope. This is one of our more modern but still unusual items, recovered by one particular mudlark in recent years. Hope that gives you all you need. Regards, Jill. Yeah, Jill has a mudlarking certificate. And And what we're looking at here is... It's the biggest dildo I've ever seen, (laughs) Deborah. That is just... It's a monstrosity. It can't be for human use. That must be for cattle.
2: Oh, actually, (laughs) you might be right. Anyway, it's got veins all around the side... What would you say that is in diameter? I'd say painful. Is what I'd say that is in diameter. Seven, eight centimeters. No. Yeah, so it's quite big. That's it's huge. It's really, really huge. I had thought when it came that it was just going to be a sort of rejected nineteen eighties Jeff Stryker dildo. <laughs> However, she did send me a picture of it being in her window, where you would normally see flowers looking out to the garden, and I still well, couldn't. I'm Jill. Yeah, <laughs> I still couldn't quite grasp it till it turned up today, and it is pretty heavy. Jill thinks it's rubber. It's not being cleaned. I think we're going to have to, you know, I, I love it as it is, but you've got to what? Like, who did that belong to? well
1: <laughs> like it's it, but like you know obviously we'll never know but well we'll never know
2: i'm really put, pleased put that it's been it. extracted i i love <laughs> i love the veins on it i mean it's great anyway it's a handful that's for sure jesus christ is it Do you ever... want to hold oh it? my god right okay hold here we it. go okay I mean, oh, we don't wow. really know when it was made or and anything.
1: That, it, it feels like stone, actually. I mean, like, when you squeeze it, it's rubber, but because there's mud, like, encrusted in it, it looks like it's a very, giant but stone. Early
2: rubber was very dense, wasn't it's it? It's very I mean, dense. It's very, very heavy. Um, and it looks it's like eye-watering it's... eye-watering <laughs> in size, and I guess, you know, as with things that we don't know anything about, we make a story up about it. make a story... But then, you know, maybe that's why this has survived, because it's quite sturdy i think from from (laughs) emailing jill over the last few months she had seen it it was like literally embedded Embedded. and wondered what it was just trying to see if there's like any kind of like any marking you know like it's
1: seamless like it was poured into a mold or something or is it that's interesting should we
2: have a look we're just
1: turning it round now one thing that I would say, if if you were selling this to a modern audience, is that it's freestanding. That can stand on its oh, own.
2: Oh, and it has a little slit in the end. It's it's, it's got it's mar- great detail. It's remarkably <laughs> realistic. That's well, I don't know where you've been hanging out,
1: but no, actually, <laughs> actually you're quite right. If if someone pulled down the pants and revealed that, you'd run fast.
2: Yeah, is, it's is what you'd do. It's it's definitely more. 1920s porn shoot. I mean, think that is when it's from. Jesus Christ, Grandma! What's very heavy, heavy. That is—it's some weight, isn't it? And also, you just wonder about where it's journey. What was it doing down by the Thames? I think that
1: somebody ordered it, didn't check the measurements, and then just threw it into the Thames. They were just—or maybe That's it was on a ship. That's
2: unromantic. No, or maybe someone <laughs> was
1: on a ship and the anchor didn't work, and somebody thought, "I know what I've got that could keep this ship from moving," and oh took my that overboard.
2: God. But I'm really pleased that this turned up in the post today. Perfect. So I could bring it to you, Kate. Look at that. Your just for today, yeah. the
1: 1920s rubber dildo the size of King Kong's little finger. Has has, <laughs> has just
2: been sent to the keeper in a cribbage box.
1: And now you're going to look after it forevermore. Until you yeah. pass it on to the next keeper. So, Deborah, <laughs> thank you so much. Tell me a little bit about the museum and about where people can find you. And if somebody wants to see that... What, how, what well at, at the moment museum?
2: that is actually nowhere. you were the first people <gasps> to see it, yeah, wow. great. The big reveal, <laughs> um, yeah, at the moment, we are looking for premises. We do have a few irons in some fires, so hopefully something will come of it, but we're looking for premises to open at the end of the summer, so once we'll see, well, we definitely want to open, and hardly anybody's seen the whole museum, and um, as I said, one of the installations is a space of peril then we've got another one called the wall of sexual heroes where people have put forward their sexual heroes and done little textile art pieces whatever it badly it doesn't really matter uh, embroideries to tell the story of their sexual heroes again these are not famous as i say the museum you know celebrates sexual heroes moments and places but that personal lived experience stories which are fascinating, really. So this wall is getting ever bigger. I love uh, that. The
1: idea of who's your sexual hero. Not like a famous person, just somebody. It can be
2: an object as well. Object. I mean, this could be your new sexual hero, that the, the 1920s monolith. That's no one's hero. <laughs> it's... it's <laughs> Yeah. But, so you're looking for premises yes. at the moment? Uh, we're looking for premises to open. At the moment, you can follow us on Instagram. I haven't got around to doing Twitter, sorry, but Instagram. It's Museum of Sex Objects on Instagram. And if
1: people are listening and thinking, I've got a space in London, I'd like to see the giant kilda. Oh, well, you can
2: contact the keeper at themuseumofsexobjects.co.uk. Any leads at all would be amazing. These stories need to be told. You know, we did open up once before, just my flat. I cleared my whole flat out in Covent Garden with the National Trust for Open Heritage Week. And we had over like 700 people then before COVID on the waiting list. So I think people like to hear these stories. I think they will. I think this is important. And Mm.
1: yeah, so if anyone can help find a home for Deborah and the (laughs) Dilda, please get in touch. This work is absolutely fantastic. Long may it continue, Deborah. Thank, Thank you. you so much yeah, for joining me. I'm really me. honoured
2: to have been asked
1: to. Are you kidding? That's to see is. the first people to have seen this dildo in 100 years. <laughs> I'm honoured. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. I hope that you've enjoyed joining us. I've certainly enjoyed myself. Thank you so much to Deborah. If you like what you've heard, please don't forget to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've got so much exciting stuff coming up. So join me again, Betwixt the Sheets, The History of Sex, Scandal, and Society, a podcast by History Hit. This podcast includes music by Epidemic Sounds.
0: Planning for your next trip? Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at History Hit dot com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just one pound a month when you use the code betwixt at checkout.